gentlemen welcome back to stories out of time and space i'm one of your regular hosts scott weatherly and as usual i'm joined by my time traveling partner julian how are you doing you okay uh i'm doing all right i expected to come back to this time and find a utopia (laughs) in which both of our respective countries were governed by intelligent uh governments that were progressive and interested in uniting all peoples and i'm very disappointed yeah I will say I'm a little disappointed as well, uh, not just in that, <laughs> but um, possibly in the fact that I don't think I quite understood Primer. <laughs> okay, um, well, I'm I'm here to help. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yes, that's what we're talking about today. 2004's Primer, um, an independent film uh, made incredibly low budget. Uh, I saw a couple of quotes, but whatever they were, it was made for the sort of the. The th- in the thousands rather than the millions. This thing's got an incredibly low budget, independent, made by uh, Shane uh, Carruth, who wrote it, directs it, stars in it, uh, alongside David Sullivan. I think really they're the two people to focus on in this story. Um, as Aaron and Abe, two sort of technical entrepreneurs, I think that's the way to describe them, um, working to find the next thing that will sort of go to market and can can make them money um they along with several of the sort of uh, the scientific entrepreneurs come up with an idea to try and do something with weightlessness uh, i think that's what it is um mm-hmm. in doing so um create a time loop situation within the machine which allows them to travel back to when the machine was turned on um I, we will try and get into the science because <laughs> the, the film does. <laughs> um, never well, before have, have I have I had to sort of go into um, the dictionary definitions for certain words whilst watching a film. This. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I I don't have that experience at all. I mean, I I, I think that you know I I think that you know none of it's really none of that's really important what's really important really in the first like like third of the movie you know in which we're kind of following Abe and Aaron the two main characters and their friends as they're sort of like garage engineers right mm-hmm. um and it's gotten a lot of praise for um really depicting uh that kind of culture uh in a in a very realistic way and they're kind of like initially taking turns to see whose project they spend some time on um but yes there's a lot of dialogue that you don't really necessarily have to get it the main thing that you have to get is that time travel in this story and this is a very scientifically responsible version of time travel Mm. you know you you set up a box and you can travel back in time to when you set up that box, but you can't just magically back to the future style, you know, uh, basically teleport yourself to a different time and place. Uh, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, uh, yeah. I, I, they give it an explanation. I think that's the thing. As you as you sort of say, the first sort of third of this film sort of sets them up and sort of sets up the 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 situation in which the sort of uh, the science is being built. And there is there's an awful lot of te- I don't want to call it techno babble because it is actual. You know, the, the, from what I understand, is it's actually very technical, ac- accurate technical stuff. Mm-hmm. And because it felt very accurate, and my, that was my understanding. I felt it was going to be important to the plot. And that's why I was sort of like, I was literally sort of jotting things down. I go, okay, well, they're talking about this now. Okay, well, there's going to be something about that. And I'm checking sort of some of these words. And then they never come up. It never pays off. It's not really important. And I was like, oh, I, I you know, it, it yeah. sort of, um, I, I felt sort of like I should have, yeah. I, I felt like I, I wish it had done because I felt I put work into the first third of this film. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, definitely this is a movie that benefits from multiple viewings. Mm. Um, I think the first time that I watched it, I was so, I don't even know how I found it. I was thinking in preparing for this podcast, uh, I don't even know how I found this. Uh, I can't imagine how I did. But um, but I think as soon as I finished it, it, it took me a little while, but I was so in love with it that I just instantly watched it all again. Um, mm. you know, and it was like one of those, those moments where, you know, you've made like a, a real discovery of something that you really love and that is going to affect you and you want to dive right back into it. I, I trust you had a different experience. <laughs> uh, it's one of those, I think I liked the concept and I, one of the things I think that you and I have sort of spoken about on previous podcasts is th- this, um, you know the the admiration really for smaller stories, you know, because not sometimes events don't don't impact the whole world. So the fact that these two guys <clears throat> create a, um, what is tantamount to a time machine, um, and then try to put the rules in place and then use it in small ways uh, and mm-hmm. stuff, I really like that because it sort of feels real. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt legit like the, so. They put the rules in place like they can only go back to a certain point. So when when the first guy does it, uh, when Abe first does it, he says, "Well, I'm going to go back six hours." So for those six hours, actually, the current me can't interact with anybody. So I've got to almost disengage myself from the world for that period, and then I'll go into the box and I'll see what happens. Um, and so that sort of th- things like that, I'm like that's a really good idea. Like. You're not. They're not going to try and tell you this, you know, this Back to the Future two sort of thing where you got two versions of the same people creeping around a disco or anything like that. They're actually thinking it through, and because it sort of felt like a that, I was, I was really impressed with the notion and the ideas that went into it. But narratively, well, it just felt like it lacked drama or impact. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that. Uh... I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, the second half, I you know, the, what's funny is every time I watch this movie, I remember all these things that happen. And I remember mm-hmm. like there, there's a fight at the party. There's, you know, there's all this stuff that goes on. And OK, well, we're going to we're going to spoil the plot. One of the things that I, I love yeah. most and that is, is, you know, damn brilliant is you realize at a certain point in the film that almost everything you have watched was 
already altered by somebody yes. having gone back in time. Um, and there's a kind of like cut to black early on. There, there are several of these, but there are many points in which what you are watching, ha- you have never seen like the first iteration of. Um, you've only seen a timeline that was already altered. Um, I, I didn't and, I mean, that that's a brilliant twist. I mean, that's oh, like, yeah. you know. I, I didn't get that. <clears throat> the, the the moment I realized that was the moment. I mean, I'm going to spoil it. So the the, the film yeah. ends with they've got the, there's been there's a party that they're going to attend to. Uh, their friend Rachel's having a party, and she there's an argument with her boyfriend. Her boyfriend goes out to his car drunkenly and gets his shotgun. Um, and the story is relayed by two of their friends at the during the start of the film, and they say, oh, "What happened?" Well, nothing really, because the gun was empty. Um. And that sort of it sort of left at that, and I I, I was like oh, okay that's the story. And then at the end of the film, when it all sort of pans out, and you see that everybody like say, the moment that guy then walks into the party at the end, because that's the sort of the point it, it reaches round to again, is I was like oh actually like I say I've never seen anything that hasn't as you say hasn't been um, altered before, um, or hasn't been unaltered I should say. Um, yeah, because even though I was really working this film, like, that didn't dawn on, that didn't click with me until the very end. So um, I'll give them credit for that, that that was really clever. Yeah, I mean, I I love that. I It kind of, uh, I don't know. I mean, I have a giant timeline that I constructed, probably like the second, that second viewing or something. I started mm. a project of kind of putting everything together. Um and basically at, at 1930, uh, so, you know, less than 20 minutes into the movie, um, you know, as far as you know, they haven't perfected this time machine. And then you get this very strange shot as Aaron kind of walks to the edge of the roof and looks down and goes down and has this conversation. And Abe's already got the... Um, He's already got uh, what you later find out are recordings of a past mm. iteration of this conversation. And he's already got this uh, headphone in. So he's already got these recordings of the conversation. Um, and you don't find out until later. I mean, basically, at this point, each of them has screwed each other over, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, but there was some what's so what's fascinating there is. There was some previous iteration, the previous iteration of that conversation in which there's no um, headphone in, mm. you know, there is a kind of like, you know, uh, timeline 1.0 in which that happened. There was no headphone in and things played out. And one of the things that ends up haunting Aaron is sort of how was that timeline going to play out if I hadn't gone back in time? Um, you know, if I hadn't used the machine, what happened the first time at that party with the shotgun? Um, there's no way to reconstruct that. We don't, we don't know. No, it, and this becomes that sort of, because at one point in the film, um, that, you know, they're, set, they're at a petrol station to sort of, like, and that's the, the one thing I like about this. The, well, one of the things I do like about this film <laughs> is with it being an indie film, um, like, you know, the, the, a lot of the conversations that you know they do feel. I mean, the acting's not always fantastic, but 
that it feels natural. This is just two friends talking. So there's like really important conversations. And you know, if this was a Hollywood film, it'd be set up in a really dramatic way, you know, sort of lit in a specific way. And it'd be in an office or a laboratory or whatever. But then there's like, there's, there's, there's quite important exchanges between them that just sort of happen, you know, in the kitchen or like say this one, but one of them's at a petrol station. They fill up the car and he sort of says, well, I don't, I don't know about paradoxes. I'm not really that bothered. It doesn't, you know, it's, it doesn't interest me. We've just got to do this. And it's sort of a decision point. It feels to me at least where they're like, we can't worry about that. We've just got to keep going ahead with this thing. And it just, it feels that's sort of like how it would be, wouldn't it? It's sort of like, okay, well, mm-hmm. this conversation's reached a peak at this point, and then that's the decision we're going to make. And, and there's little bits like that, which I actually really like in the film. Um, and I was sort what? of focusing on those. but And so I like the relationship between these two guys. And so when you do find out that it's starting to get a, a bit rocky, um, it's, uh, yeah, it feels natural. Yeah, and I think that, you know, of the of the things that this, I mean, I love this movie so much. Uh, of the things that it does really well, one is this kind of naturalistic dialogue. Mm. You know, despite, I mean, yeah, there are lines where you think, you know, the inflection is a little off. Maybe this this isn't the best delivered line. But it has that kind of like awkward, real dialogue where there are lines that just aren't important that are about, mm. um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we could... Uh, do it this way um and yeah they're not going to do it this way it's not important this is the kind of back and forth that you would have in a in a lab um and, and there are lines like that in the car and then there are lines like that that wind up being really important later um mm-hmm. and you don't really know which is which the first time through um but i really love that kind of naturalism I love that it, um, yeah, as you say, like it is grounded in their relationship and this way in which having this device changes people. You know, Mm -hmm. yes, you started in a garage, but, you know, you look at all of these startups and, you know, the original founders always end up fighting, right? Um, You know, this is something that... I mean, by the end, like, you know, they're drugging their wives, you know, like there's a lot, there's a copy of a guy in an attic, you know, like, I mean, there's a lot of just subterfuge that's going to go on once you have this power and you start thinking of the implications. Um, And along that line, you know, I love that, you know, as you said, it's a small story, but it thinks through these implications. Um, I am a sucker for time travel stories. I love time travel stories, but 90% of them are just grown worthy and they're grown worthy to me because their version of time travel is so damn stupid. Um, you know, like for example, uh, you know, there are many Star Trek episodes that do this, um, <laughs> not to pick on Star Trek, but where it's like, okay, we're altering time and all Dr. Who does the same thing. We're altering time and bouncing through time and, you know, uh, traveling back in time and altering it. And then at the end you find out like, oh, that character was the future self of somebody who was like Mm. helping them out. Okay, that was written by a brain dead person because that if you can alter time, you live in a universe in which you can alter time. You do not, you cannot have a loop that is, you know, in other words, the uh, causality has been broken because the first time through that person was already there from the future. 
Well, it, it, time works one way or it works the other. You cannot have both yeah. in the same story. The, um, Primer does a fantastic job of just, you know, setting these realistic rules for how this works. Um, you know, and this is, you know, it's speculative physics, but it's responsible speculative physics. Um, you know, that you can only travel back, you know, within this device. Having problems with the device, you know, it's not pleasant to be in this mm-hmm. device. They they kind of start bleeding. There are these side effects. Um, and there are things that they don't know. Um, and then kind of, you know, setting these responsible rules. It's hard science fiction. And then just teasing through what are the implications? What would happen to people who had this? Well, yeah, because I think I like that you mentioned about the side effects. Like it starts with... Um... And again, they're sort of teased, but never explored. It's almost like, again, that natural thing. I mean, that's why it feels so sort of real is um, the de- the denial of it. Like they don't actually want to talk about it. So at one point, you know, their the, uh, ears bleed slightly when, when they've been through it. And that thing, that thing's like a physical thing. But also the other thing is their handwriting, like they struggle mm-hmm. to write. And he says like, at one point, he says... Um, like they've clearly been writing, and you actually—it actually shows you his, the page, and he's struggling to write, um, but it's never addressed. And then later, you know, literally within a couple of minutes, he sort of says, uh, "And how's your writing?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm struggling." So he says, "I can, I can see the letters. I know what I've got to do, but I can't seem to make my hands do it." And I'm thinking, like, that's a pretty, like, that's a pretty big side effect. That's a pretty big mm-hmm. issue, and you're just going to sidestep it. And it just feels incredibly human to be a bit like, yeah, that sounds really bad. But so I don't want to talk about that because it feels bad. So we're just, but we're going to carry on. Um, and so I do feel that these are human um, characters. You know, I do feel for them, and I, and I do sort of um, quite like that. And I like the fact, like I say, it's got specific rules and it sticks to them. Um, and I do quite like that. So it does have this thing of like, you know, you say they're not going to go back into the wild west. They're not going to go, you know, and or like a dinosaur is not going to come tearing out the machine at any point or anything like that. It's not it's like you say blockbuster sci-fi. Um, it feels like it has a sort of like these, these set rules and they stick to them. Um, I just, I think for me, like you say, it's, <laughs> it's one of those where I, I'm, I try to like this film and I see there's a lot to like, but there's also this whole thing around the whole film that I think it feels um, intentionally difficult as well. Like they've already given you like a you know a quite an in, they've mm-hmm. given you an interesting concept and they've tried to explain it first. They try and explain it with technical science and they give you this interesting concept that they try and explain um, you know in a in a non and I'm, I'm coming at it as a layperson. I'm coming at it as an idiot, so I'm quite comfortable to accept that that you know I'm not coming at this as a, a to fully understand it. But Neither of us have engineering degrees, Scott. I mean, yeah. yeah. You know. And then, but then narratively, like it jumps about a bit and I'm like, oh, okay. So now, like you say, it, it requires a rewatch, which again, I'm quite comfortable with, but it's almost like it almost does it on purpose, which I sort of find frustrating when I'm like, there would have been easier and possibly more satisfying ways for me, for this story to have been told. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. I mean, I, I, I think obviously I'm quite taken from this with this film and I and I was the first time through. But having said that, I mean, I always feel as if I mean, 
I always feel as if it needs to be half an hour longer than it is. Um, yes. You know, it's about uh, an hour, 17 minutes or something. Mm. Um, and every time I watch it, I'm amazed by how really they don't um, invent the, the time machine until, you know, 20 minutes in. You don't really get rolling with, you know, them using the time. I mean, it's very meticulous. They show you mm. them using the time. I mean, so that's all good. But you, you don't really get to that until you're sort of halfway through the movie. Um mm. And and at that point, all this stuff that I remember, like the fight, you know, like there are these strange noises in the attic. Well, you've only seen an iteration where there were those strange noises. So, mm. I mean, you you know, you've missed whole iterations of the timeline. Um, we keep jumping forward to further effects and uh, of of the timeline having been altered between s- scenes. And all of that I love, but there's just so much in that last sort of half hour, 40 minutes that uh, I feel as if it should be longer. And I also feel for you that, you know, there's no need to make everything quite this obtuse. You know, in other words, like, you know, it's nice that there are some dialogue uh, lines that don't make sense uh, at the time, but are important later. But at the end of the movie, I don't need the side effects to be explained, but there are lots of things that you could have smoothed over and just made a little easier for your audience because they're already having to grasp uh, this version of time travel and a narrative in which you have to understand like, oh, these like three iterations happened between these two scenes. And, yes. <laughs> you know, I've got to like figure out what... So what happened there? And it and it makes sense, but it does involve a little bit of work. It's true, and I think you know I will benefit from going back, and I think I will go back and watch this to really go you know and and invest in it uh, to try and try and get more out of it. But I think one of those things is it's sort of um, to talk just to sort of to reference a film we are going to cover soon, uh, Inception is one of those things, again, about, you know, what's the dream world that you're in? And there's a whole thing around the spinning uh, top and there's some other sort of rules that say, okay, if this is happening, you're in a dream, and if if it's not happening, you're not, and that sort of thing. Um, And with this, it's sort of like, this feels like if they'd have, I'm sure they wanted to, I'm not going to say if they were smart enough because they're clearly very bright people, but they could have chosen, like you say, it could be that there's something in it that says, Oh yeah, yeah. There's something either either in the background or something small that just says, if you were to go back and watch it, you can see that this appears or disappears, or when this is about, you're in this timeline and that sort of thing. And hmm. do you know what I mean? Like it just just a small indication because, and I get that that's sort of the point though that they're not trying to impact. They're trying not to impact it, um, but just something like you say because otherwise. Um, you What's you it? sort of need you need that to you know this this like you say this film requires a second viewing in order to yeah. understand the first. Well, I mean, we'll be talking about Inception next week. Inception is one mm. of my favorite movies. I mean, I I, I love it. Um, but Chris Nolan is brilliant at doing exactly what you sort of wanted here, which was you know, which is like okay, have a high concept, um, don't dumb it down, but at the same time you know, kind of spoon feed it to people and give them mm. a little bit of sugar to aid the digestion, you know? 
Um, yeah. And he's very good at finding that kind of middle ground um, made for, you know, $7,000 or whatever. I mean, this movie was not able to do that. I, I think it would have benefited from, from reshoots. I think it would have been, it would have benefited from, from more sort of padding out these relationships. I mean, there are times where you're watching maybe like four minutes and at the beginning of those four minutes and at the end, if you really go back and look at it, there was a change to the timeline at the beginning of that four minute segment and at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty aggressive. Um, but, you know, I like that there's no indication that time has been altered. And I think that it, for me, that plays into the kind of like paranoid feeling that you have in this film. Um you know the music is very minimal, but it but it also is a little paranoid. And the way the two friends start, you know, going at each other, there's stuff that they don't know. You can't trust. You know, I mean, uh, you you know, one of the things that uh, that I love about this film so much is that it's smart. That you know, mm. like there are things like the the idea of yeah, okay, before I showed you all of this. I started a failsafe machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I showed you a storage unit. At that point, I had already set up another storage unit and turned on the device so that if everything went wrong, I could go back to this earlier point. Now, that's mm-hmm. very smart. And But there are so many things like this that are just, yeah, they're twists, but they're just super intelligent twists that usually you know, in a, in a mainstream movie wouldn't even get introduced until the sequel or something. Yeah. And I, I agree. And that's sort of, um, or you'd have had um, like the murder mystery ending, a sort of thing where the ending would be literally sort of someone saying, taking you back to that moment. And, and like you say, you'd like to be spoon fed it and you'd be walked through and shown where everything changed and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know, sort of, um, I can imagine that, that that would be the Hollywood answer to this. Because, um, I mean, the, one of the things from this film that, that I find um, most interesting is, is is one of the things that popped into my head when I watched it was almost like, um, for, not the franchise, but the first film, is to think this is almost like the opposite. It's like an anti-Terminator in that, sort of we, you know, we've sort of talked about Terminator in the past uh, between ourselves. And we've, you know, that the idea that, that that first film is um a, a fixed loop that you know you know you can't get away from the fact that skynet is created and, and john connor is born and that future conflict happens because a terminator was sent back as long as, as was kyle reese which started that time loop and so round and round it goes and that's sort of the idea of um you know determinism and fate and all that sort of stuff um Right. But in this, like you know, so you can't change that. No matter what happens, you know that's that's the when Forget the rest of the franchise. The point of that first film is you can't change that. That's that's will always happen, and it always has happened. Um, so there is no there is no alternative timeline where somebody else was John Connor's father. Like there is no other timeline. That is the timeline as it stands. Um, and then with this, like I said, they keep going back and they make alterations and alterations. And the fact the the we've sort of talked about spoilers throughout, but the end of this film is you end up with uh, two versions of both people in one timeline. Mm-hmm. 
because they've gone back and they've actually changed the the timeline so they don't create the time. Now I may have misunderstood this, but they go back to stop so they don't create the time machine. That right? Uh, I don't think that's right. Uh, no, I don't think that's right. Um, so yeah, because there's a bit where they're at the airport at the end of the film. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they've done everything they're going to do. And he's saying, like, you know, he's going to look, let's go off into the world. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. We can take our passports or we can take their passports. I love the fact they they refer to them, the alternative versions of them as them. Um, We can take their passports. We know we're not, they're not using them and we can just go. And, you know, we've got this money, we're sorted. And he's like, no, I I can't. I've got to stay. Yeah. So they scuttle scuttle the original guy's project. I mean, the original guys have a working time machine, but Mm. it's really easy to mess with it and make it seem like this isn't in fact working where in fact you've got a double out there who only exists because it does work yeah and that's so it it seems because he does actually say he says oh yeah i went in and he literally said i'm sure he says like i pulled a wire out it's almost like Mm -hmm. every time they try and say oh yeah i screwed with it a little bit um and so that ends sort of because there's two parts to the ending i was trying to sort of understand was this notion because they're saying oh, we could just go off now because we're now literally going to always be stuck in this timeline? Um, we have changed that that sort of the way things go. Um, so you know that that was what was interesting to me was that sort of thing. And then the guy's going to have to stick around. Um, so is that was that your understanding that they're actually going to you know or will it could there still be a time machine invented or, well, or successfully turned on? Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the finale, the ending is sort of doing, as you say, like, I mean, they've scuttled the original. In theory, they could invent another. But the point is that, you know, the two friends have evolved away from each other. Right. Mm. Um, uh, Aaron loves these people and needs to stay. And um, Abe goes off to uh Basically, at the very end, you see him working with a French company to make a wildly upscaled version of this machine. So um, that's what that was going to be my question because that's what I thought that was. That because he's sort oh, yeah. of like, yeah, he's like, oh yeah, do, he, he says something like little pieces everywhere. So he's obviously going to make a much bigger version of it. Well, um, he says like, okay, so every five meters. So like yes. those those uh sort of like t- sort of plastic uh, PVC pipe tubing that you kind of see mm. in the box they're building a giant pvc pipe you know it's like that's every five meters now so it's like a a warehouse sized uh, sort of aircraft hangar sized version that is being built and it sort of plays into the the whole like original commercial purpose you know that at Mm. at the beginning they're very concerned about money the point is to to make a project that's going to be um uh, fiscally logical for them um, they're not it, they're not really science for the sake of science guys this is a startup um, and mm. and by the end yeah that's followed through and the point is yeah we did this amazing thing and we can sell this we can do great things with this but only one that, of them is wants to do it yeah hey, one of them is willing to do that but that's so that was the question cause the thing that I found interesting in this was was this idea of, of uh, making it marketable, and um, I mean they find a way of making money off it, and um, you know they talk about doing the stock market, and they talk about betting on uh, sports, and you know they can make money all this other way, um, which is you know um, which is all interesting, and then 
But the thing I find interesting is that for that ending is, and it, I suppose it comes down to sort of logistics, but like one of them's going to stay behind and, and sort of like watch their family or whatever um, and make sure that it doesn't get invented or, you know, that sort of thing. <clears throat> so that seems almost like a full-time job. So it's that thing of like as a double, like you've created, you, it, it's almost like the physics of that have been, okay, you are two, you are the same, literally the same person in that same time, that time slip. Or that time uh, timeline, and that sort of thing is is never really addressed. It's never sort of like okay, there's two of us in this time stone, and then the other guy's gone off and he's going to invent it with a a French company on a large scale. Mm-hmm. And how's he? And it's like okay, so he is you know uh, Aaron or Abel, whichever one it is. Um, he's still going to have to get credit and paid for all that. The point is to get paid. So you know, he, he, I'm right. assuming he has to have taken on a different identity and and sure. Well, he might be able to retain some kind of control, right? I mean, mm, yeah. he, he might not have just sold it to this French company. Um, but, you know, again, one of the things that I love about this is is not just the, the financial aspect, but also the sense of logic about how time works. Um, mm. I mean, personally, I think that the sort of closed loop, you can't alter time thing in the original Terminator is the most responsible. Um, there's some scientific evidence that that is in fact the universe we live in uh you cannot cause a time paradox if you tried uh you cannot alter time if you tried um the universe will not permit this and i would say the only caveat i would say about terminator is if that's the case why does skynet not know that you know like the entire point is to go back in time and alter it and we're in a universe in which you can't okay that's fine but that's a minor quibble um I like that version of time travel. On the other hand, you have the any version in which you can alter time. And incidentally, I'm always frustrated by like, you know, even the the back to the future version where I think, okay, so you went back in time, you realize you have a teleporter now too because the earth was not in the same place yes. back then. So your time machine is also a teleporter, yet you don't seem to have teleportation technology. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I think way too much, but um, any any universe in which you can alter time is very quickly going to go crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in other words, like, you know how you have like um, um, versions of time travel in which like Cable comes from the future and he comes to the present mm-hmm. and then the future is erased, but Cable's still in the present, right? Yeah. Okay, well, so how does your universe work? Does when time is altered, does that mean that Cable no longer came back to the present? In which case, if he was part of time being altered, you have just literally destroyed the space-time continuum. Mm. Because if he didn't come back, now he never came back. Now the first timeline occurs and he goes back. Uh, having come back, he erases himself. Then the first iteration occurs and the universe is forever flipping between these two states. Um or you have a scenario in which uh, Cable stays in the present, and now you have this weird kind of situation in which I can just create doubles of myself. There is no reason to think that like the space-time continuum starts falling apart because two versions of Julian or two versions of Scott see each other. There's no, I mean, that seems some kind of weird metaphysics to me. That's like, you know, they, but they have one soul split between two. Okay, shut up, man. Uh, But 
So, you know, in a universe in which you can alter time, you are always going to have multiple copies of people. You're going to mm. have stuff go crazy really fast. And yeah. I love that in this really um, low budget, you know, 90 minute movie, it gets to that point by the end where um, there's that whole thing with like Mr. Granger where they see Mr. Granger and they're like, okay, he had a full, he was clean shaven earlier. Now he's got mm. a full beard, right? This is near the end. <laughs> they go to the the coffins, the, the time machines, and they're like, okay, which one of us in a previous timeline would have helped Mr. Granger <laughs> and put him in yeah. one of these? And we cannot turn these off because somebody's inside them. Mm-hmm. And they're experiencing time in reverse. And what happens if we turn this off? So, you know, again, you're kind of like seeing this later version of. So, I mean, stuff has really gone crazy by the end. And that whole using of the failsafe, like you said, is an attempt to just kind of like undo all of this craziness. Obviously, there are like dozens of iterations that we've never seen. They don't even understand like who did the Mr. Granger stuff let's start over and not have all of these problems. And I do like that. They, they do sort of try to resolve that. But I also like, I like say that the Mr. Granger one's really interesting because they do, they're just driving past, aren't they? And they're like, he's, he's got a beard. Like he was trying to keep <laughs> clean, clean shaven because he was going to an event or something. So I do like those. Cause the other thing as well, he takes, he's got a mobile, he takes his mobile phone. we <coughs> <coughs> back with um, trying to be right now. He either takes the mobile phone back, or they discuss taking the mobile phone back, and they're sort of trying to say like, how does it work? So if there's two phones that have got the mm-hmm. same, you know, um, same number and the same sort of, basically, it is literally the same phone. Like, okay, will they ring at the same time? Does this create some sort of technical issue, or which will one ring first? And they're trying to sort of figure out how a network works in order for this to understand, and it's. So yeah, you can see that sort of like the slightest slip um, could, like you say, make things go crazy. And that's where they sort of, like you say, originally, like that first time he does it perfect, isn't he? So obviously he disengages from the world for for six hours, knowing that's how long he's going to go back, and sort of doesn't interact with anybody. Well, I mean, doesn't interact with anybody, doesn't do anything, just sits in a hotel room. And then he goes and sort of goes into it and comes out six hours earlier, and then he can do whatever he needs to do. Um, and that sort of seems like the only scenario where it's like, oh yeah, that small jump has been has had minimal impact um, from his point of view. But then, if he, well, you know, you could then go back and say, okay, well, I sat in a room and didn't do anything for six hours because that means that the other me can then go and do all my normal stuff and that sort of thing. Um, but as you say, but if there's multiple versions coming back and doing that, um, as they say at one point, he because he comes out, the other version went and took his car, so it, you know like he had to then get a taxi somewhere. Sort of like trying to keep a track of all this that's going on, mm-hmm. and as you said, sort of like almost as a, I like the fact you called it a project to put a time, to put the timeline together for this. Yes, because um, it it really is because there are still moments in this like. Um, where I'm trying to pinpoint what's going on. Uh, for example, there's a bit where they're sat outside the storage center. They've gone to, but you know, they're watching it and they're sat in a truck with binoculars watching themselves going in. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I'm like, all right, so and he's sort of going, okay, so which one's which? And sort of, like you say, this this film does not allow you to blink at times. Um, and like, you know, you you you've got to n- almost know. Bef- weirdly, like in time travel, you've got to know what to look out for in order to to know what to look for. Right. So that's why I think the second viewing is obviously more important because you know what you are trying to find. Um, and whilst yeah, and I appreciate that, that I appreciate right. to some extent in films where I'm like, okay, I love going back and finding Easter eggs or get, getting more from a film to, to, to appreciate it more, but to actually just understand it. I, I don't know. It feels a bit like if I was to see this in the cinema and then was like, oh, okay, well, I've actually got to see it again to try and appreciate everything in the first two bits. It feels a little unsatisfying. I just keep going back to that, really. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I mean, okay, so so I would say different people feel satisfied by different things, right? Mm. Um, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I struggled for a long time with uh, going back to Chris Nolan, some of his more sort of puzzle box-like movies. Um, and I'm a huge Chris Nolan fan, but, and, you know, and I wrote a book about Batman Begins, mm. but... Even writing that book and after that book, I found myself kind of struggling with the fact that I never felt in all of the many times I had seen that film to write that book, I had never felt that much of an emotional connection with the plot. And Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, this is because I knew I was writing a book and I'm taking copious (laughs) notes and I'm overly intellectual to begin with. And, you know... I, I'm the guy who sits there <laughs> picking stuff apart the first time through, you know, which annoys everyone else. But, um, you know, so for me, I, I would say I find it satisfying uh, by the end, but it's satisfying because I'm thinking of all these things and I and they're interesting and smartly done enough that I want to figure them out. So. Mm that is in, that's satisfying for me for my personality and i don't know like i like the characters i like what they've done with them but i'm not especially emotionally invested in them i do feel mm. a little something but i'm not all that emotionally invested and that's fine with me it's a different kind of satisfying um well that's just me uh and i recognize that i may be an odd duck here um the second no, thing no, no. I would- I think cause it, yeah. it it does a it, it's that's because I think that's what it's going for. That's I think because again one of the things I read was um, Shane um, Carruth when he was trying mm-hmm. to cast this he ended up cast he cast himself as Aaron because <clears throat> and he also used sort of amateur actors and stuff as well because he was bringing in other actors. He says they kept trying to insert drama into things, and he was like, no, no, it's not about that. You know, he was so he ended up putting himself in it so he could get the message across mm-hmm. um so i feel that like although this is a this centers around a friendship that's sort of like you know the 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 core of the film uh to the most part it also it but it isn't the point if you know what i mean right yeah um yeah it, it's not grounded in character the way we sort of have expect stuff to be grounded in character hmm I, I personally, I don't care about character. I, and I know that I'm, I'm insane, but I mean, to me, 
to my weird brain, I, I think structurally and to my real weird brain, characters are an epiphenomenon of the plot. Um, you know, and, and so I watch a movie and I'm like, oh, here's the scene in which uh, character B gets angry and changes, you know, makes a decision to behave differently, sending them on a different trajectory for the rest of the plot. Okay, I, I see what that function, I, I see what the scene is about. It's about that function. This character is a, is a pawn on the chessboard. Um, that's not to say I don't have any emotional reaction. I do. Um, I do care about characters, but, you know, they are kind of uh, chess pieces to be moved around. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are other people I have, I have, you know, some of my best friends are people who, you know, when I talk to about movies, they say, yeah, I don't know about any of that. They don't know about anything that I'm talking about. They're like, <laughs> you know, I don't know if this is a good movie or not. All I know is like, I love this character. I love their journey. And I'm just like, yeah, I understand that. But, you know, we're totally alien to each other, you know. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I, you know, I mean, there are things that people watch that they just say, I, I love that character. Um yeah, and that that person is probably not going to love this movie. No, I, I, I understand that, and I think that's one of the things as well is um, is that you say this is this film was done as a sort of. Um, it, it, I feel that the, say the narrative structure is intentional, um, you know, and I say yes, I find it in uh, a little frustrating, um, and I say so is the choice of. Um, the scientific terminology um, and obviously the use of specific um, shots and all this other stuff that's sort of throughout the film is all intentional. So again, it's that mm-hmm. thing again, this feels like it was done as it's independent as well. And, and which gives the, the director and obviously the creator Shane Carruth, all that, the ability to do that. And it's, so this is his vision. Um, and as you say, this isn't sort of like a melodrama. It's not about character draw, uh, development and that sort of they have an arc as as you know as they do but this is most definitely a a technical exploration it's almost like a thesis isn't it it's, it's something like you know okay this is what happens and here's here's how it's most likely to happen um and would it be used responsibly um yeah maybe it's maybe it's that thing of like i'm just so used to and bred on um as you say, sort of like the three act structure, that typical Hollywood um, narrative, um, and I, I do, I do like characters. I do sometimes need a character to cling to. That, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that's some, sort of why I struggle with this film, um, but not with the concept. Because again, I think the, the the disappointment I had was I loved the concept and I loved the the end result, um, but felt the journey was like Not an fun. obstacle course yeah it was it, it was almost like yeah it was like an obstacle course when i thought it was going to be um a running <laughs> race yeah well i mean <laughs> yeah i totally understand and, and and that's totally fair i think that some you know when i think of um what i want out of a movie right some movies are like a, a roller coaster ride i mean you're just along for the ride and mm. it is amazing um this movie is more like a puzzle box and it engages your brain and your brain is fascinated and curious 
but cannot take in the whole three-dimensional puzzle at once. Mm. Which makes sense because you're never going to know what happened in a previous iteration. Um, I, but I, I, I think you, that... I, I, go ahead. I'll tell you what I'm thinking, because, you know, um, if I think back to Solaris... And you know, Solaris was an interesting, an interesting beat in itself. And following Russian translations for three hours is is a challenge in itself. But I, I found I enjoyed that film because of its introspection and some of the questions it raised. But the, you know, and it, it it's an odd film. It's got some really interesting bits and pieces. But because of the pace of that film, um, and you are given as a viewer um, moments of reflection. Like that film's going to give you something really bizarre and really weird, um, you know, like a whole a concept or an idea or something, and then it's going to be like, okay, let's sit back and then just enjoy some weirdness or some. Let's take a breath for a few minutes and we're going to get through the next scene or there's going to be something else, mm-hmm. and it gives your brain a chance to catch up. And that's why I think this film, yeah, would, as you say, would benefit from 15, 20 minutes more where it could introduce things. And then be like, now let's take a step back. Just give you a moment to digest that, and then we're back onto it again. Um, I agree. Completely. I just yeah, just just that room to breathe would probably make this. Um, as you, you you get if you give the food analogy, this is this film is sort of um, trying to eat a, a dinner on a conveyor belt. You know, it's sort of like and here's the next bit, and here's the next bit, and here's the next bit. <laughs> um, you know, I think of like. Um, <laughs> I think of I Love Lucy, you know, the thing with it, she's trying to do the pies as they keep coming sure, past. Right. So, and it, for me, it's like, okay, well, I've got, I'm not, my brain is, it, it needs that moment of introspection to process it. And by the time I've got that, I'm like, oh crap, I'm three pies down and I'm running out of space. Right. Um, and I, yeah, so I think that is, you're right. It does need multiple views. And I think I would benefit from multiple views. And I might even like it more, you know, two, yeah. three, four v- viewings down the line. Um, um, well, but I sometimes I, feel that do, sh- should I have to do that? Right. Um, but then maybe. Well, but then when, when I think of other media, I would do it with a book. I would probably do it with a comic as well. So, mm. well, I mean, and in, in, in the movie's defense, I mean, it's seventy minutes, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, it's easy to do. You know, and it's and it's a very much more enjoyable for me. I mean, I can't even compare this to like a three-hour-long, you know, blockbuster where I think. Yeah, you know, you should have cut an hour and a half and it still would not have been that enjoyable uh, for me. Here's 70 minutes where it's a hard 70 minutes because you're engaging with it. You know, you you have to think about it. Uh, you know, it's not just like, you know, penguins with superpowers or something, you know, which, look, I like, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think the other thing is, um, you know, that you sort of hit on is uh, about ambiguity. And I think that, there are different kinds of ambiguity. And I think that this movie would be better if it had an extra 30 minutes to sort of space things out. Um, you know, not necessarily spoon feed the audience a little, but kind of like make certain things clearer. Um, if it were Chris Nolan, right, you'd get more kind of like flashbacks to like, here's what happened the first time through, you know, um, you do get one flashback early on, but you don't get the like twist, like, okay, here's what you didn't see kind of uh, ending. But, um, you know, there are different kinds of ambiguity, right? There are 
a lot of the like techno jargon at the beginning to me is really about establishing this culture and that and that realism of the sort of garage engineer culture and mm. you know you don't have to get all of the specifics of how the machine works uh it's all speculative uh physics anyway you have to get how how the basic end result right but mm. It's all there to kind of create this space, this uh, culture. Uh, later on, there are things like, you know, who sent Mr. Granger, what's going on with Mr. Granger, that are not going to be resolved. Uh, mm. And they are perhaps irresolvable because they are from, there have been multiple iterations that you have not seen. And even mm. the characters themselves can't figure out okay, what happened in those iterations? One of them did something. One of us decided for whatever reason, which we, from this point of view, cannot reconstruct. I mean, it's like the loss of information as uh, something falls into a black hole, right? I mean, Mm. we cannot reconstruct. We do not have access to this previous timeline. Um, So there is kind of ambiguity like that, which I find acceptable and, and and which you don't have to really know um and i think about like uh uh you know ezra pound uh said that uh people would complain that uh when they read his poetry they would say i don't under- you know you've got greek words in here i don't know what any of this means <laughs> you know and he would say pay attention to the sound of it you know everybody's got their own mm. vocabulary their own knowledge base you know go with the flow pay attention to the sound of it. And I think that sometimes that embrace of ambiguity is abused. I think in this film, it's justified by uh, the narrative intelligence of the film. Uh, and you don't need to know what happened with Mr. Granger. I, I don't mind knowing if I, if I could, but then there's other kinds of ambiguity in narrative, like, you know, sort of like David Lynch ask ambiguity, where it's like, why did a hamburger appear out of nowhere and start talking and explain it's a God from another dimension? Hey, just go with it, dude. Why do you have to know that? Yeah. You know, F you, right. You know? Um, Yes. So anyway, I mean, I I think, but I do think that ambiguity combined with um, the lack of sort of like emotional, the typical emotional like resonances of the plot make this a harder going film. Yeah, I think the thing, like you say, is, is at 70 minutes, though, it's something you probably, and I will revisit, um, you know, try and get more from. Um, and I think, you know, for our listeners, if you haven't already, but you are going to go and, and, and try this, I think when you sit down to watch this film, put your phone down, you know, um, close the door. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, th- this this film demands your attention. I think that's sort of the thing to sort of to take from this, and I think you will get something from it, especially if you're a sci-fi fan. Like you know, um, for and, and as you know, Julian, as you said, like if you're a time travel fan and you want to sort of, you know, there's those other um, scenarios that are sort of thrown out there in other films, whether they be. Um, Back to the Future, or uh, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, or Terminator—all those different things. Like you know, this film, like you say, predominantly sticks to its rules. Um, but like you say, it sort of asks bigger questions, I suppose, that it's not going to give you the answers to. But it's going to point to them and say, 
yeah, even when you apply this level of logic to it, there's still a whole bunch of stuff that like, is unknown. Like, we cannot know or answer these questions, um, and that could be quite scary. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's all uh, important caveats. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, you can sort of figure it out. Um, there are things that are unknowable. I mean, this is a, I should also say, this is a very celebrated movie. Um, <clears throat> you know, and it it came out at a time when there were a lot of blockbuster sci-fi movies that were really dreadful and terrible. And... <clears throat> Um, and the fact that you could make a, you know, brilliant sci-fi movie with this kind of budget, it took two years in post, you know, well, that's what you do when you really want to do something with no budget. I, I, I know from experience, you know, you, you sweat like this and you manage to create something. And I, I think it's place in culture in, in that respect is kind of similar to moon where people were like, Okay, this is amazing. It has basically one character. It's not about all all of this great stuff, big, you know, earth-shattering stuff, but it was a shock to the system in terms of showing people you could do amazing sci-fi with a smaller scope or in this case with a smaller budget. Yeah, I think, you know, I think um M- Moon is a film I think we, you know, hopefully we'll get to at some point cuz I actually that's I a film too. I actually I really like that film, and and um, I, I think you're right. Though I think I can see why this film is was celebrated and won, um, you know, several awards um, against some of the, let's say, the dreck that was coming out at the time. Um, and it is challenging. I think you know, there's, there's, it's. I think of it like you said about what you mentioned, sort of uh, Christopher Nolan. I think of like Memento. Um, and that's a film that, you know, as you say, sort of like, that's not a film I watched just once. That's a film where I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I, when the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, I've got to go back and watch this now because, you know, I've got all these thoughts and I've got to understand this in a, in a much, you know, um, as much as possible. Um, so I wonder, you know, I was obviously um, taken by that film and I went and watched it. I did go back and watch it again. So it... <laughs> I think there's a clearly a difference there, and I think for me, like you say, it's used to sort of, is it's that investment in character um, that mm-hmm. I think sort of strikes me more with say uh, Memento and maybe some other films than this. Um, yes, and, uh, and 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 that's good to have. I mean, I I, I think it's uh, it, it's something that that Nolan has enough of that to balance out the the smart stuff. Um, mm. You know, and the end result is something that is uh, usually very satisfying at the same time that it's, you know, it manages to be commercial and, you know, I, I don't think as smart as this, but pretty, pretty smart, you know, uh, and, and satisfying for me. I mean, I, I, I love that kind of quintessentially Hollywood blend of sort of the, the art film and the commercial stuff. Um, mm. And you know, I mean, especially continental Europe is really good. At, you know, the French are really good at the art film. They're not so great yeah. at the commercial stuff. <laughs> um, <No. laughs> and America's really good at great at, you know, commercial stock. That's that's 90% of it is terrible. Probably, you know, 90% of it makes me vomit. And I think 95% of it is terrible. But 
there are those happy uh, sort of convergences where in, in the Venn diagram of, you know, artsy and smart and, you know, the other side is, you know, I get it. I love this character. Um, there's a convergence in the middle where, and Chris Nolan is perfectly in that harmonic for me. Mm. Well, you know, I think um, we will have to see because obviously uh, this is both being recorded and will be released in, in 2020. And he is, um, Christopher Nolan is going back to do time travel if, in some, in some way, I don't know if you've seen the trailer for Tenet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be interested to see how he handles it. I don't, I don't think that is going to have uh, yeah. a scientific basis, but um well, it might, you know, Inception, you know, he brought in lots of, you know, mm. science. And that was the whole, the whole origin of that, that movie. But, it's true. It, yeah, but it's even, true. even Inception, I mean, says, throws out the science when it needs to, or at least ignores it when it needs to for the plot and for the character. Yeah. Which this movie does yeah. not. <laughs> no. And that's a, um, it's a bold choice. It's a it's a it's a choice to, to be made, I suppose. Well, I mean, if you like intellectual puzzle boxes, you know this yeah. this is a fantastic movie for you. I mean, so so I was thinking, I'm looking at my, uh, you know, I have a massive spreadsheet um, that I created for this, um, and uh, cells in that sheet that are in yellow indicate things we have actually seen. Um, and the first box is the first 19 and a half minutes. The second box, right, which is mm-hmm. a, a sequence that's about a, a minute and 20 seconds long, which is my description is Abe 1.1 now meets with Aaron 2.1, who is using, using Aaron 2.0's recordings. So oh, is this the, on the bench? Is this when he comes yes. out on the bench and he's got the right? And yes, that's the first time, right? Uh, mm. He goes to the roof, and then you see him go down. That second box that's in yellow is in my chart iteration two point one, and between mm. those two yellow boxes is like you know thirty boxes that I've constructed information for, reconstructed yeah. <laughs> from what you've seen of all the stuff that happened between those two that you never saw between 19 and a half minutes in and 1931. Uh, if that sentence, if this these sentences sound like, oh my God, that's amazing, which it would to <laughs> me, this is the movie for you. If you that's, hear that yeah, and you think, a- oh my God, I, I never want to see that. Yeah, stay away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I'm really. You know, it's, I love the fact you got to a spreadsheet as well because everyone loves a good spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> but I'm hoping you started with a wall and like red, red thread, and you were sort of like pinning bits to pieces. Oh, that's that, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, it's my serial. I call it my serial killer wall. Um, <laughs> and I, I use it for a lot of things like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that I tell you, I, one of the things I I, I watch this on um i rented from amazon prime um and once i watched it one of the things i was thinking about was like i would love to see the there must i'm hoping i don't, I don't know if it's on blu-ray but i'm, I'm assuming them a, a, com, a, a commentary on this um would mm. be really interesting to have sort of like um you know the director and some of the actors or whatever like 
actually talk their way through it and, and just get some of that behind the scenes as well because I find it it would be a fascinating idea to sort of say, yeah, yeah, like he clearly, I'm assuming to at least 80, 90%, like he has got that timeline um, and all those iterations, like, you know, he, he must have a similar spreadsheet to you in right. order to, <laughs> put, to have put this script together, you know, because the, the script layout is meticulous, Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, for you to be able to go back and do that, that and that in itself is a really impressive skill that he's obviously gone, okay, well, yeah, this happens here, and that's that version doing this, and boom, boom, boom. And yet, there are still things that he is willing to sort of throw in, um, like the guy with the beard saying, uh, yeah, not sure about that bit, but I'm throwing it in because it shows that there is parts of this that we're not sure about. Um, and uh, so it almost raises that question of like, well, what, what is it we. You know, you, you they say you you don't know what you don't know. So, but so what is this other stuff that we don't know? Like, what else has changed? Right. Um, which I've, and that sort of that to me is where where I find it really interesting. But um, yeah, that's really impressive that you've got. I'm 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 always curious. Like, is that going across the top? Are we getting into uh, double letters? You know, is that getting into like the A A A B A C? No, so sort of, so. Uh, I've got I've done it vertically because the mm. uh, um, so so time is on the vertical axis. So I've got mm-hmm. you know all of the notes like you know Monday around noon, you know then fourth around four thirty. Everything we know you know from time, and then on the the um, horizontal axis, I've got iteration one, iteration one point one, which is entirely reconstructed but has some flashback material from uh abe um you know from the flashback of yeah this is how i i got it to work and i saw the the ear peer that talked to yeah. you on the bench with no ear peers so there are some flashbacks there iteration 1.2 iteration 2 is um you know begins basically most of the film and then it's 2.1 2.2 2.3 2.4 2.5 and then iteration three is when they use the failsafe to uh, go back uh, to the beginning. But even that begins Monday around 12, Abe 2.5 with four days beard emerges emerges from the failsafe. He somehow shaves. Like, I mean, there are things mm. like that where I'm like, wait a minute, how did he shave? Um, mm. And then the next uh, yellow box is two point, Abe 2.5 goes to his house where he uses nitrous that he brought with him to gas his former self. Abe 1.0. So now that is the having erased back to the beginning in his sleep. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot you don't see. And so it's not all that many iterations, but there are multiple ones in between them. Like most of the Granger stuff, I've got a huge mm. box that's just like, okay, here's what events at this point are unclear. And then it's like, you know, a bunch of speculation. Um, but there are, it's clear that there are additional iterations between these ones that I've described, but this is the minimum that I could do to make it make sense. And this took me like probably five times longer than watching the movie. <laughs> but I'm insane. But that's but that's what sci-fi does. That's why, that's, and that's why you know, I can see why people... Um, you know, will grab onto this film because there is, there is an element of trying to understand it, and um, un- unlike as you said, sort of uh, David Lynch, and you know where it's sort of 
it's there for the sake of it rather than having, or it's there for some sort of, you know, aesthetic or, you know, surrealist mm-hmm. point that doesn't really provide anything. Like everything in this, like, you know, clearly has a logical point. Like there is a, a logic to follow. So a puzzle to be undone is, is, is a really good way of saying it, actually. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think mm. just to wrap up, I mean, I think that if, w- would you agree, you know, I mean, despite, our different reactions to this film that, you know, in the history of sci-fi cinema and the history of time travel and cinema, the, there's no getting around this one. Oh no, this is a, this watching this. I think, yeah, this is one of those films that, um, anyone making a time travel film going forward has got to go back and see this film multiple times. You, you can't not now. I think this is, this is, uh, important to to that genre definitely well, it's, yeah well it's great that we talked about uh inception because uh that's going to be our next week right mm, it is well the next three the next three sort of fit into this because you've got um we've talked about inception um you know and obviously the christopher nolan thing and then we we are going to be ending off with looper so we are coming back to time travel and mm-hmm. i have a feeling that your reaction to that will be um different <laughs> yes i think i think uh-huh. our positions will be reversed when it comes to looper yeah. uh, but you know i love when we disagree and uh, you know because it also um you know first of all we love each other we respect each other uh i, I can't say that enough and and you know we don't have enough of a culture in both of our countries of people passionately disagreeing but saying you know i i get where you're coming from you you know you got a good point there um and this also helps me understand myself in terms of what interests me or how my weird brain works, you know. No, that's it. And I, I, I love the same same thing, the conversations like, you know, um having these conversations as you say sometimes sort of straightens things out in my own brain. So after it, I'm like, okay, I'm I'm now comfortable of my of my position <laughs> on that film that I have probably gone round and round the house with and spoken to other people about where they've probably just frowned at me and gone Okay, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that's the good thing about this. Film. This film, if anything, if, if nothing else, for me, this film, uh, you know, uh, generates the, the that notion of sort of debate around time travel um, and how how it's depicted in in, in Hollywood, um, you know. And I don't care what else. This film is sort of seems to be a touchstone, and. Um, Recently, we've had uh, Avengers Endgame introduce time travel, um, and and not very well, I think. Yeah, and and even in that, it's sort of like it's it's so that I mean that introduces it in the Doctor Who fashion, isn't it? Of yes. like timey wimey, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Don't worry about it; it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, right, exactly. In <laughs> uh, in sort of like you know. Again, I find that film incredibly satisfying from a sort of a narrative and a sort of like the investment I've put in it for the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, but the time travel in that is incredibly uh, frustrating. Um, well, this that and, again, uh, you know, it reiterates the you know this different approach, and I think everybody has is somewhere on this sort of spectrum where, um, you know, I, I people tend to like me. I tend to be perceived as charming in person, but I always feel as if it's a little bit of a game. You know, I always feel mm. like a little bit disconnected 
even when everybody's smiling at me and laughing and I'm laughing, I feel like there's an element of this, this kind of call and response, right? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, I always feel a little sort of socially odd and, and, and bizarre and I'm going to go home and make like a spreadsheet about time, you know, time travel and primer or something, you know, I'm a <laughs> weird duck. Um, and, you know, and I think that, you know, on another end of the spectrum, I mean, there are people who look, I mean, I love Doctor Who. I, I, I've seen, you know, 75% of even the old stuff. Um, but, uh, and I love Star Trek. I've seen almost all of it. Um, but, you know, and you can really follow that character. And, you know, look, I mean, you know, come on. I mean, I love Michael J. Fox in, in Back to the <laughs> Future, right? Um, you know, he, he's charming and wonderful. And time travel there is, you know, pretty good for its version, but it's not trying to be super smart. I mean, you know, come on, how do people start fading out of existence, right? I mean, this is, this is, yeah. <laughs> this is really stupid, but, um, but it just works and it's great and it's fun. And I think that there's room for multiple kinds of movies. And I think that we'd be better off in a culture in which it's okay to say like, yeah, that time travel stuff in Endgame doesn't work. On the other hand, I love these characters and I followed them for 10 years in cinema And it's amazing to see their narrative arcs kind of wrapped up in an emotionally resonant manner. Um, But I can also say that and admit like, yeah, the movie has problems. Um, And I can, and we can all say that about our, our sacred cows and, you know, still enjoy them and get along. I, yeah. And I think that sort of is definitely lacking. And I think that, that that needs to be important. It, the ability to sort of is is again. There's the whole Star Wars thing as well. Of, of you know, it's either you can you either hate it or you love it. It's sort of like you know, um, you either in or you're out, and it sort of seems really um, bizarre that you know the, the, there's no middle ground allowed really at the moment. Um, and I find it in a lot of fandoms and a lot of sort of uh, genre sort of things happens a lot of places. But like you say. It's, these conversations, and I hope the listeners as well listen to this. I've got no problem if anyone disagrees with me, because <clears throat> as I've sort of said, you know, we both acknowledge in, in this that you know neither of us has a physics or engineering degree, so <laughs> I'm I'm happy to admit that I'm not, I'm clearly not, you know, in some cases uh, bright enough to catch this film when it's first pass. Fine, and I'm going to say that you know I, it left me a little cold. That's not mm-hmm. a problem, you know. Right. You, for you, for you, it 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 um it drove you to to create a spreadsheet and to <laughs> dig into it and then solve the puzzle and to sort of pick it to pieces and try and, and then put it back together and stuff. And to me, I'm like, oh man, that's amazing. That you know, that's what this film has driven that passion, and that's what film's supposed to do. You know, for you, it's driven a passion. Like, um, I. <laughs> I, I watch I mean I watch Ghostbusters on a regular basis and I get very passionate about that film that like, I will pick it to pieces and then sort of like you know I acknowledge that film's got I love that film so much but I acknowledge it's got a number of flaws mm-hmm. um but like I say I will take that that film to part and like, from a narrative point of view and I'll think about these things and sort of like you know then you mention to somebody else and they're like yeah that's uh that's more detail than I've ever thought about for Ghostbusters so yeah, I mean, I think there's there's room for um, not only different views, but also for different kinds of joy. Um, mm. 
you know, I mean, and I think that we have not really cataloged or understood all the different kinds of joy. I mean, there's a kind of like joy of loving the character and, you know, seeing them, you know, sometimes even suffer, but certainly being happy for them when they're doing well. There's a kind of joy that's like, oh, the joy of narrative that, oh, there's a twist that's surprising, right? Um, mm. And then there's a kind of like a little more, a, a little quieter, kind of more abstract joy of like, oh, they're doing very clever things here. I think they're on top of it. I'd like to understand what's going on in this gesture or, or unpack it. Um, and all of those kinds of joy are are wonderful and okay. And I'm a fan of all of them. And mm. even if I can't get to that place, you know, I, I often talk to people who, you know, I mean, you know, go to see a Star Wars movie and, you know, I, I, I'm in the middle ground, uh, as you described, but, and they come back and they say, oh, you know, oh, it was so badass, you know, and I think I've never, <laughs> you know, just loved something and said, I love it because it's badass, you know, like <laughs> totally foreign to me, but I love the joy on your face, man, you know, mm. that's, that's beautiful and wonderful. And that's what this has been about, and I think you know that's why. And I think more than anything, these conversations, like you know, going back and watching um, all these sci-fi films, and and also the thing is like, you know, it's, it, listeners, you may already guess that we're sort of quite we're quite into this, so we have already plotted out sort of uh, season two um, with some of the film, you know, for the films we've got coming up, and um, you know, just to, just to see some of the conversations that are coming up. Like, I'm really excited. Like the joy I'm getting from that is driving that joy. There's films on there I've never seen before, and there's films on there that I didn't think I would ever talk about or I'd ever mm-hmm. get to talk about. So it's and that's what I'm hoping. This you know that's the point of this podcast. When each film we're coming at in a different way, um, you know, like we the this one we've been quite sort of talking about different forms of like narrative and we've talked about sort of time travel. Last time, last episode, we were talking about fascist governments and um <laughs> you know militaristic you know jingoistic sort of uh ideals it's um yeah it's there's so much to sort of embrace and talk about yourselves and that's why i think this is important uh and i hope our listeners are enjoying it so i, I also too, I, I feel the same way i mean there there are yeah. films that we both love that were just like it's so much fun that we're going to be able to talk about these movies that that mean something to both of us and then you know you got me watching some uh, some obscure Brit films that you know I there's no <laughs> way in a million years that I would ever encounter and I can't wait to hear you know like why you chose that why you love that and that's part of uh, not just discovering different films but also you know we learn about each other and about ourselves through what we like and what we don't like. Yeah, and I think that's what that's what I'm hoping that like, you know for you listeners out there sort of you know that have, have uh, come back and challenge us and let us know what mm-hmm. you think of these films especially a film like this that, that really does challenge you and sort of you know uh, go find it um i found it on amazon prime um i i have a feeling it's on a couple of other uh, streaming services um it's available on dvd not on blu-ray i don't think or i couldn't find it see it anywhere um but do go check this out it's it's if you do like those time travel films, do go check this film out. It's it's it is incredibly worth your time, um, 
but be prepared to work with it. <laughs> I think that's the best I can say. Like, be prepared to work with it. This isn't a film where you can kick back in a sort of a lazy chair with some popcorn and stuff. No, no. Like, be prepared to watch it a couple of times. I think that's. But uh, Julian, any final thoughts before we sort of uh, before we uh, jump out of this? Uh, just that in the in the true spirit of uh, encouraging people to uh, participate, uh, especially with the Twitter, you know, at uh, uh, Pod Time Space, um, mm-hmm. that uh, you know, feel free to tweet at uh, at Pod Time Space, Julian, you ignorant slut. This is a terrible <laughs> movie. You know, that is fine, man. Um, what are, What are your final thoughts? I, at the, did I make you? Did I force you to watch something here? That the... uh, it's sure it's it's one of those films that I have I've known about for for quite a while, and it's, it, I keep going. Oh, I need, need to watch that. I need to watch that. So I appreciate that we've got round to watching it. Um, and I do think it's gonna. I'm gonna go back. I've got to go back and watch this to appreciate it because there was there, there were moments in this film I did enjoy, like the final reveal at the end when you do when they do get to the party and stuff. I was like, oh, I'm, mm-hmm. that bit was I, I really enjoyed. I think I can get more enjoyment from this film if I give it more. I think, um, and if I meet it on its own terms, uh, I think that's that's sort of where I've got to be. Um, Sounds like a but, relationship. Uh, it, yeah, well, I think that sort of feels how it sort of felt. I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm coming into this, and I'm you know I know it's time travel and sort of it's about two people, but it's not Bill and Ted. It's <laughs> it's not yeah. Doc and Marty. So I, I think I'll I'll go back and I'll I'll uh, I'll view it on its own terms rather than than expecting it to come to me on my terms. And I think I'll get more out of it for that. Hmm. But yeah, well, so I can't wait till the uh, Rick and Morty Primer episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if that show was to apply any kind of logic, I think it'd be interesting. Um, but yes, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to our, uh, to us discuss Primer. As I say, it's out there. Go check it out. Let us know what you think, uh, and let us know what you think of our past episodes. We've obviously talked about all kinds of things, everything from uh, Forbidden Planet to uh, Starship Troopers to The Fly, Blade Runner. So we've had a whole host of things. Uh, we've discussed um, and please get in contact and let us know what you think Uh, but Julian until next time uh, thanks very much and uh, any final thought for the listeners Uh, I just hope you enjoy um, listening to these podcasts as much as we the two of us enjoy making them yeah yeah hopefully and more people will do will do too and listening spread Um, the word that's it yeah Word of mouth, that's what helps. Get people listening. Uh, reviews. We haven't really talked about these things. So, yeah, we're on obviously Spotify and iTunes. Uh, and so if you, you know, let us know, drop us a review on there and uh, gets us up in the whole rankings, apparently. Helps a bit more people find mm-hmm. us. Uh, but until next Amen. time, thank you very much, guys. And uh, we'll speak again soon. streams.